Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan and this week we're continuing our conversation about batteries and new battery technology and with me to discuss that is Neil Morris who's the Chief Executive of the Faraday Institution. Perhaps you could start off by uh, explaining to us what the Faraday Institution is and what it does. Well, the Faraday Institution was formed about uh, 18 months or so ago now to be the UK's centre for carrying out electrochemical energy storage research, which is a bit of a mouthful, um, and certainly at the moment we're focused really on battery research. And, and how does the Faraday Institution fit in within the overall Faraday battery challenge that's been launched by the government? Well, the Faraday Battery Challenge was really launched by the government as part of its industrial strategy to look at the transition that the UK economy, and in particular the car industry, is going to make towards batteries. And it has three elements to it. And the Faraday Institution is very much focused on uh, research part of battery technology. And for people who are familiar with technology readiness levels, we're working at the fundamental science, sort of technology readiness levels one through three, to solve some of the technical challenges which need to be met so that batteries ultimately can uh, play a bigger role in, uh, in, in EVs, but, but also in other parts of, uh, of our life as well. Why do we need a next generation of batteries? What, what is it that batteries can't do at the moment that we need to make sure they can do in the future? Well, I think we kind of hear about that every day, uh, particularly with EVs. People, people have concerns about um, the range of an EV, how long it takes to charge, safety sometimes. But, but also longevity of, of the battery. So lithium-ion batteries have come a long way. They're, they're much cheaper, they perform much better than they have done, and that's why we're seeing them in EVs. But I don't think they fully meet the needs of the consumer at the moment. And then there are other applications. Uh, there's, there's talk about grid storage, about aero. Um, the performance of, uh, of batteries today doesn't really meet the requirements of, of those industries to make the transition. So we have to move the technology forward, and I guess all of us working in this area believe there is significant technology headroom um, to actually ad advance to higher performing batteries. Uh, and what are the main technical challenges? I mean, why, why is it hard to make batteries that are just cheaper and faster to charge and so on? Great, great question. I'm not a battery scientist, as, as, as people who would uh, maybe uh, look me up uh, might realise, but fundamentally what goes on inside a battery is not as well understood as you might like to, to think, that they work, but actually there's a complex series of, of reactions, if you like, going on as electrons move between charging and discharging of a battery. And what we're trying to understand in, in the Faraday Institution is what's really going on there at, at a molecular level. Um, because what you see in real life, and you see this with your mobile phone over time, the battery degrades, it doesn't last as long, um, eventually it will, will fail, sometimes it might fail quite quickly. Um, so we're trying to understand what causes that, and then you know, we can move to solving it. Um, and we're trying to do that, as I say, by looking deeply into the science rather than doing it empirically. So if we can actually understand what the atoms are doing, then, then we believe that actually we can design a better battery. So I understand that the way you actually do that is by a series of fairly substantial projects. Can you tell us a little bit about those projects and what they're trying to achieve? Yeah, let, let me just say a couple of words before I dive into that about, about the projects. What we're doing is getting universities in the UK to work together on large projects, to collaborate. And, and I guess we firmly believe the UK will only compete 
if the great universities and the great researchers that we have work together to solve these problems, rather than working in isolation in their individual universities. So we have nine big projects running. I think in round numbers, people should think of each of those uh, being around about four years and around about 10 million pounds each. Um, that's a substantial investment in a, in a research um, area. And it means that when, when we're fully up and running by the end of the year on all of those projects, we'll have well over 300 researchers working across the UK on, on these projects. What we're also then doing is actively managing these projects. So we're not just leaving the researchers for four years, as much as sometimes they might like <laughs> us to. We're working with them to make sure they stay very focused on the targets we've set for them. And where we've got those targets from is by talking with industry. So we've talked with the car makers, we've talked with the aero industry about what are the requirements. And it goes back to your previous question a little bit. What are the problems that they're seeing in real life that concern them that mean that you know, they can't get batteries to be cheaper, they can't get them to perform. So we, we call that sort of application-inspired or mission-driven mm -hmm. research. has to be a clear commercial output from the work that we're doing. And then we back that in to what are the science problems that, that have to be solved. So that link with industry is absolutely critically important. We also engage with academia because they can see some of the problems that could be solved that, that maybe industry don't. So it's very much a collaborative exercise and that's certainly one of the watchwords for us is, is collaboration. For the, for the wave of projects we're, we're just launching at the moment, we actually engaged across the whole country. We held five big workshops with industry and academia mm. to um, understand the areas of interest. And that's where eventually we have picked our areas of research from. And the other thing we take into account when thinking about the projects is where do we have academic excellence here? Um, there's no point us researching something mm. if we don't have the basic scientific knowledge in, in the UK. Where can we win? Because yeah. um, by getting our universities to collaborate, I think you know, the, uh, the message there is the competition is outside the UK, not, not inside the UK. And, so, and as a result of that, we have, we have nine big projects. So over a period of time, you know, doing the maths, that's sort of 90 million pounds yeah. that we will fund. So uh, can you give us an example of one or two of these projects? I can. L let me group them first uh, for you if I can because it's probably um, just easier to think about two buckets. We have a number of projects focused on lithium-ion technology. So lithium-ion is, is the chemistry that's in batteries that most people are familiar with today. Um, it's in your mobile phone, it's in your laptop, it's also in your um, electric vehicle uh, as well. And we think there's significant headroom to move that technology forward. We don't necessarily believe that lithium-ion could ultimately be the best technology, um, and certainly not for all applications. So we have another group of projects that are working on what you might call next-generation battery chemistries. So in, in lithium-ion, we have projects looking at how you better model what goes on in a battery, how you properly understand the degradation mechanisms, what causes it to uh, perform less well over time and ultimately fail. And we then we have projects looking very much at the materials that are in a battery. Can we find better materials or can we make the components of a battery in a better way mm. um, so that they will perform better? And so we have a project looking at new cathode materials. The, the cathode um, is, is often the rate limiting step in a battery at the moment for lithium ion. But then we have another project looking at how you might manufacture a more perfect electrode and structure it in such a way at the molecular level that it performs better. Importantly in this area, we also have a lithium-ion uh, battery recycling project. Th this is a problem that is heading in our direction 
maybe in a decade or so's time, as EVs end their, their, their first life, um, what's going to happen to all of these batteries? And, uh, and clearly we want to create a circular economy. We want to reuse those materials in, in new batteries. And then for next generation batteries, we have three projects. Uh, we have a solid state uh, battery project. Um, one of the big advantages of solid state batteries is they don't have a flammable uh, liquid electrolyte in them, which is characteristic of a lithium-ion battery. So from a safety perspective, they offer uh, significant advantages. But if we can crack some of the science problems, then we believe that actually we can get better performance from a solid-state battery than we can get from a lithium-ion battery. And we're just launching two new projects, uh, one which will look at lithium-sulfur chemistry and one which will look at sodium-ion. And again, um, different benefits, probably performance benefits from lithium-sulfur, maybe cost benefits from sodium-ion. Um, and again, we can see market opportunities for all of these in the, in the future. And those market opportunities, I know that um, a lot of the initial drive was to do with electric vehicles uh, and so on. And it would be interesting to talk a bit about how these batteries will change electric vehicles. But I'm also interested in other areas of which uh, the economy in which need batteries, which might be other transport, but could also be energy storage for renewable power generation yeah. and so on. Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, the, the focus on EVs is largely driven, uh, I think, by the fact that um, that's leading the charge at the moment yeah. in, in the increased demand and the increased opportunity to use batteries. Um, and, you know, those vehicles have actually been around for quite a considerable amount of time, and you're going to see an explosion in the number of models that are available over the next uh, one, one to two years um, and, and fully expect that you'll see a lot more of those vehicles on, on the road. But you're absolutely right. There are other areas. Grid storage is, is certainly one. There are some batteries on the grid already, uh, lithium-ion batteries. They're, they're primarily used for fast frequency response to, to maintain the stability of the grid. But as we move more and more towards uh, renewable energy, wind and solar, then we will need to find ways to store that energy when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not, not shining. Those, those batteries, if, if anything, probably the primary driver is sort of low cost. You want low cost methods of doing that. So we think there are technologies out there that the world will need and will need to be developed. And then absolutely other transport sectors. You're already seeing in, in the aero industry uh, a move towards what people might call air taxis. Um, those will be electric. There are prototype models using lithium-ion batteries that are being developed. And again, you know, I mentioned solid-state batteries earlier on. Solid-state battery would offer a, a much safer and uh, potentially much more powerful opportunity for those. And, and we will see encroachment, I think, into um, heavy goods vehicles. That's more challenging, but nevertheless, we will need to look at that. Off-road vehicles as well as significant advantages. So you're seeing lithium-ion batteries encroach into some of this territory. Um, better performing lithium-ion batteries or better performing new technologies would accelerate that pace of change. And staring into a crystal ball, how would you see some of that panning out over the next five to ten years? What's the sort um, of sequence and order of these things? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great question and, um, and inevitably I, I will get the answer wrong. <laughs> I think our view would be that lithium-ion chemistry will predominate for the, for the next several years. Um, there's a huge amount of capacity to build more, uh, make more lithium-ion batteries being built in Europe uh, as well as in Asia. The performance of those lithium-ion batteries will, will improve over time, undoubtedly. 
people are, as I've mentioned, you know, we're working on new cathode materials and, uh, and also on, on better electrodes, better modeling, understanding degradation mechanisms. And, and, you know, you hear a lot of talk about cobalt, for example. So, you know, there are um, versions of lithium-ion batteries that use less cobalt. Um, that's an expensive component as, as well as concerns, uh, human rights concerns about where it comes from. So there are technologies out there, lithium advances in the lithium-ion batteries that will improve their performance, uh, but they become challenging in other respects. So I, I'm absolutely certain that over the next five years or so, we will see lithium-ion batteries uh, perform better um, and get cheaper. They, they continue down the, the, the cost curve. I think five to ten years out, and that sort of time frame probably, unless somebody makes a really unexpected breakthrough, we will start to see other technologies, uh, other battery chemistries, um, start to appear in, in select markets. Okay. And um, solid state may, may well be one of those. But as I mentioned earlier, sodium ion, lithium sulfur um, yeah. might, might be others as well. Early on, you mentioned that the selection of projects from the Faraday Institution was based in part on UK commercial and UK research strengths. Mm. And it'd be uh, interesting to hear a little bit about what you think the commercial and research opportunities are in the UK. Well, I, I think from a commercial perspective, and, and one of the reasons we're particularly interested in this area, is, is there's going to be significant demand in the UK for batteries. Okay. From the car industry uh, in, in particular. You know, we're the fourth largest car manufacturer in Europe. The, the product line for those uh, companies is going to be increasingly EVs. Um, so they're going to de be demanding uh, significant quantities of batteries. So there's an opportunity there to actually build and manufacture batteries in this country. And I'm absolutely confident that you know, we can compete uh, on, that, on that basis. We're seeing a lot of capacity built in Europe at the moment. We've done a piece of work which is available on our website to look at what the potential is for having so-called gigafactories in this, in this country. Um, and we think by 2040, our mid-range cases, we're going to need four gigafactories and, and we, our car industry can support one in the early 2020s and, and um, so there's a great opportunity there to create jobs and to some extent to be perfectly honest with you replace jobs that are going to be lost in the car industry because we make a lot of uh, internal combustion engines in this country sure, sure. so there's one big opportunity there we also have a pretty vibrant sort of startup culture around this area that's growing all the time so we have small companies working on solid-state batteries, working on lithium-sulfur batteries, working on sodium-ion batteries, who themselves have some, some great technology. And, and if we are successful with, with our projects and we, we develop uh, new intellectual property, better-performing batteries in this area, th these companies are obvious vehicles to commercialise that technology, not just within the UK, but actually globally as well. And within this mix, What's the role of government? Is it primarily a funder? Does it have a regulatory role? Uh, how do you see that being most useful? Funding's great. We need, we need the money. But another aspect of the Faraday Institution, and I alluded to it earlier on, is, is to do studies that uh, are non-scientific and look into some of the policy, regulatory, business challenges. And um, the, the study into how many gigafactories we, we use is, is one. Government have a really critical role to play in a number of areas. I think, to, uh, as our report into the gigafactories uh, points to, likely to get the first gigafactory built in this country, some form of government support or government-coordinated action is going to be needed. Um, once you've broken through that and have one gigafactory, 
you have trained people, you set up the supply chain, I think it's a lot easier to get the second, third and, and, and fourth one. And, and we've been very engaged uh, at the Faraday Institution and at the Faraday Battery Challenge level with government to take what we, we found in our report and try and translate that into some actions that, that government might take. And, and you will have seen recently, you know, government announcement about providing support to continue with research mm. and, and develop the industry. I, I mentioned, re I'll, I'll give you a few examples, you know, I mentioned recycling. Uh, we can develop the technology to improve recycling of lithium-ion batteries. You know, the most, most of them today end up having to leave the UK and be incinerated, essentially. That's not, not acceptable in the long term. We will be talking and are talking with government about what the policy regulatory framework needs to be to ensure that batteries that you know, have ended their useful life uh, move into a, a circular economy and, and are recycled. Um, so, so another example of where, where we need engagement with government. And then I guess the one that, that gets the most press is how do you encourage people to, to take up EVs, um, what's needed. Some of that rests with advances in the research in the industry. Cost is, is, is the obvious one and performance. But the charging network needs to be in place. People need to, to have comfort that you know, they can use these vehicles. And again, we've already seen quite significant government support to try and build out the charging network um, for people. Um, and that will advance over time, I'm sure. So there's several areas that go well beyond just, just providing money. In an international context, who are, the, who are our main competitors in this area? Well, research is going on sort of everywhere, but I would point to programs, quite big programs in the US, a lot of activity in China, Japan, Korea. I think it's interesting to distinguish between people working on lithium-ion advances and the industry, the battery industry, the, the big players in the battery industry are doing a lot in that, that area, and, but probably less so in the next generation of, of technologies. Um, having said that, I think we're extremely well positioned within the UK and we have a number of advances, uh, advantages. We have some of the best research universities in the world. They, you know, I think it's three in the, in the top ten. Um, so we have some great people and some great universities. Um, the level of funding that's being provided into research in this area is not dissimilar to the level of funding that's been provided in the US. Where I really believe we can, we can win it is through this collaboration. We, mm -hmm. we need to be bold, we need to set ourselves challenging targets, but we need to leverage the full capability across the UK of the people that we've got. Um, as great as our individual universities might be, I don't think they're going to solve this problem uh, on their own. Um, and I think we're doing that uh, better and more effectively and with more commitment than I see in some other countries. And how does Brexit affect all of this, if at all? Hard to avoid the B word. It's, <laughs> it's hard, to, hard avoid to avoid the B word. From a research perspective, very little, I, I, I would say. And uh, conversations I have, I, I think they're, we, we are collaborating in a number of areas in, internationally. I, I don't see that changing um, post-Brexit. I think uh, universities in Europe will, will still be looking to, to work with us. From, from an industry perspective, I think it's more about the uncertainty than about what the answer mm. might be. Um, my background is very much in, in industry and, and you like to know what the rules of engagement are um, and once you know what the rules of engagement are then, uh, then, then you're able to adapt to those. Um, so I think if we could get through the period of uncertainty, whatever the answer is, then that would be very helpful. And finally, for the Faraday Institution as a whole, what, what does success look like? Where would you like to be in five years' time? 
Oh, in five years' time, success would be that um, uh, on at least one, hopefully more of our projects, we've made a material breakthrough. Mm -hmm. um, uh, our projects are uh, not intended uh, to focus on incremental changes. We, we will inevitably and are already finding some opportunities for incremental changes. But yeah, we, we would love to have some intellectual properties, some patents, either around lithium-ion batteries or, or the next generation of batteries, which says, yeah, we have something that's much better that we have, have developed. And then, you know, we look to, to commercialise that. We, we look to put that on a path to, to commercialising it and, uh, and a path to commercialising it for the benefit of the UK. That could be more manufacturing in this country. It could be that we're licensing that technology to, to others as well. Um, but it has to be a, a significant step change in, in performance. Brilliant. Neil, thank you very much. Next week on the podcast, uh, I'm going to be speaking to Graham Purdy from the company Illica, uh, who are developing some of the solid-state batteries that Neil was talking about earlier. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. You can find all our podcasts on soundcloud.com or on the Foundation's website at www.foundation.org.uk.